0: Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone. This is Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is February 5th, 2011. Uh, if you would like me to create a Bible study addressing a desired topic of yours, then uh, simply email me at Kennard at merciful. ServantsOfGod.com. That's Kennard K as in kite E, two ends as in Nancy A R D at Merciful M as in mother E R C I F as in Frank U as an underdog L S E R V as in Valentine antsofgo dot com. Additionally, please let us know what your needs are because we all have them, so that we could uh, pray with you to God about them. Uh, whether that need is biblical knowledge, career counseling, marriage counseling, food, a job, debt relief, healing from sickness, clothes, shelter, or more vocational education that will help you generate more money, feel free to email me at the email address I just mentioned, and we'll do the best we can to pray for you, and if we have the resources, help you with any of your needs. Now, I will talk about how Jesus lived and how he still lives today, and what he did say, after I addressed the 2011 Egypt crisis um, This is so serious that I definitely have to talk about this first What's going on here And, and I, I Whenever something like this happens what, what My process to, to helping understand what, what God has said about Egypt and any other uh, nation that I know God talks about in the Bible I, I do immediate Bible study on it And it took me about a day uh, To figure this out But There's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 19, and before I turn to that, let's remember, for those who I know I may be uh, talking to some people that have never heard of me, uh, and you may think, well, why is he going to the Old Testament? Well, I'm going to show you why. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read this in the uh, which version is this? I got so many of them here. Um, the ESV version, English Standard Version. Second Peter chapter three, starting in verse one. And This is from Peter, one of the uh, leaders of the first-century Jewish church. Uh, second Peter chapter three, verse one. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. And this is the way the first century church thought, folks, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Okay? So we are to remember the predictions of the holy prophets and also the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Those are the two things you need to remember. Now let's follow the first of this commandment, which is... uh, Remembering the predictions of the holy prophets, in particular what Isaiah, who was one of the major prophets, stated about what's going on right now. you may laugh about that, but I think after I read this to you you're not going to be laughing. Isaiah chapter nineteen now this more than likely happened in the past, but again, Bible prophecy can be dual, and in particular when when I read this entire prophecy at the end it's talking about something that that's not happening right now. So you know that this has to be this has to be a prophecy about the end times, okay? And you'll see that here in a minute. Just be patient with me and just listen. Um Isaiah chapter 19 verse 1. An oracle concerning Egypt. Behold the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt. And this is in the uh what version is this again? The English Standard Version of the Bible. Again, Isaiah 19, verse 1, an oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. And I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians. And let me stop. Now, isn't that what's happening right now? Egyptians are fighting Egyptians, right? All right? And they will fight each against another, and each against his neighbor. City against city, kingdom against kingdom. That's what's going on right now, internal strife within Egypt. And verse 3, And the spirit of the Egyptians within them will be emptied out, and I will confound their counsel, and they will inquire of the idols and the sorcerers and the mediums and the and the uh, necromancers, and I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of a hard master. So we have already heard that Mubarak is going to step down. He does not want to be the leader of Egypt anymore. Uh, and you can understand why. The people want to kill him okay, so why would you want to leave people that don't want to be ruled, okay, so obviously he's going to step down, but God is predicting here, not me, but God is predicting that um, that I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of a hard master, and a fierce king will rule over them declares the Lord God of hosts now, the Muslim I forgot the name of it, what, what's the name of the organization what is it, the, the Brotherhood, Muslim Brotherhood I'm asking my wife, the, the Muslim Brotherhood or whatever it is um, they Uh, if you can just do a Google on this, if you don't believe the Muslim Brotherhood or whatever they call themselves, the Muslim Brotherhood, they have declared that they uh, want the destruction of Israel. They're they're not in favor of the peace treaty that uh, Anwar Sadat made with Jimmy Carter and the the guy who was uh, the Israeli prime minister back, I think it was in 1973. I forgot actually what year that was. But anyway, they made a peace treaty. And Egypt has had a peace treaty with Israel For 30 years And Mubarak wants to keep that peace treaty However It's obvious that what's going on right now This internal strife As God is predicting here Will cause a fierce king to rule over them And this fierce king Or ruler uh, Does not want to have peace with Israel And he says Declare the Lord God of hosts Verse 5 And the waters of the sea will be dried up And the river will be dried and parched And its canals will become foul and the branches of Egypt's Nile will diminish and dry up reeds and rushes would right away now the Nile and the Suez Canal I forgot to do some study on that but that's the, that's the that's the the um the economic life of Egypt and God is saying here something's going to happen to that all right and verse 7 there will be bare places by the Nile and the brink of the Nile and all that is sown or planted by the Nile will be parched will be driven away and will be no more so their ability to sustain themselves, which is already a Kermit Region article that my son found about this. And and uh, it's, it's alarming, folks. That's all i got to say about it. Uh, verse 8, the fishermen will mourn and lament all who cast a hook in the Nile, and they will languish, who spread nets in the water. Verse 9, the workers in combined flax will be in despair, and the weavers of white cotton. It's talking about their economy. Verse 10, those who are in the pillars of the land will be crushed, and all who work for pay will be grieved. There we go. That's what's going on right now. You tell me this isn't a prophecy that's being fulfilled. It is. Verse 11, the princes of Zon are utterly foolish, the wisest counsel of Pharaoh. And i was talking about Pharaoh of what happened then. But again, God talks like that because in his eyes, what happened in the past is similar to what's going to happen in the future. Uh, hold your place here. Let me show you a scripture that proves what I just said here. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 9. And see, I know when God is talking about the end time, whenever he talks about something that has never occurred before at the end, then obviously we must apply this toward the end time. And I just heard something today, and it, how they take scriptures out of context. You can't take them out of context. You have to look at the whole passages of scripture to determine whether or not this should be applied for today or if it just occurred back then. Ecclesiastes, I'm trying to find Ecclesiastes, I think it's after Proverbs. Yeah. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9. And this was uh, by one of the wisest people who ever walked the earth, Solomon. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Okay, so let's go back. To Isaiah chapter 19 and get through with this uh, timely prophecy here. And then verse 12 of Isaiah chapter 19. Where where then are your wise men, let them tell you that they might know what the Lord of hosts has proposed against Egypt. The princes of Zon have become fools and the princes of Memphis are deluded. Those who are the cornerstones of the tribes have made Egypt stagger. And, and you tell me Egypt is not staggering right now? The Lord has mingled within her a spirit of confusion. You tell me there's no confusion going on in Egypt right now? And they will make Egypt stagger in all its deeds as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. There will be nothing for Egypt that head or tail, palm, breach, or reed may do. Now, verse 16, In that day the Egyptians will be like women and tremble with fear before the hand of the Lord of hosts shakes over them. And the land of Judah, or the Jews, will become a terror to the Egyptians. So it's saying that the land of Judah, which we know what the land of Judah is today, if you understand what the Jews are, um, the Jews' land is located in Israel. All right, And God is saying that the land of Israel will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has proposed against them. Verse 18, in that day there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear, in other words, Hebrew, and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. One of these will be called the city of destruction. Now, we know that this isn't happening yet. Egyptians aren't speaking Hebrew, are they? Are they speaking uh, uh, Jewish? No. Verse 19, in that day will there be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt. Is there an altar to the Lord in the midst of Egypt? So this is a prophecy And God is linking all what's going on now with what's going to happen in the future with Egypt. All right? All this is bad news, but it's good news, too. That we know that the time of of God coming is is near, what's going on here in Egypt right now. Verse 19, "...and that day will there be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt." When they cry to the Lord because of oppressors, he will send them as savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. He certainly hasn't yet, okay, but he will in the future. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. Now, do the Egyptians right now know the Lord, folks? They, they worship uh, Allah, which is not God, okay? So God is saying that all that monkey business is going to stop, and they're going to know who the real God is in the future. Alright, so and the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day, and worship with sacrifice and offering. For those who say there's no sacrifices and offerings, this yes there will be. And that's another Bible study in itself. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. So it's good news, the suffering that the Egyptians are going through now is going to lead to them repenting, changing, and getting to know the true God and, and worshiping and sacrificing on an altar to the one mighty God. Verse 23, In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Isaria. Isaria is talking about the area of Isaiah. If you take a historical map and look, that region that it's talking about, uh, consists of Iraq, Iran, and all the other Arab nations. So, what this prophecy is saying is that uh, in that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Izaria or the area territory of Izaria, which involves Iran and Iraq. And Izaria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Izaria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Izarians. So, this is saying that all the Arabs, the right, the ones that want to obey God, will start obeying God in the future. Now, is that occurring, folks? Of course not, okay? Uh, verse 24, in that day Israel would be the third with Egypt and Isaiah. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Now it's saying that Israel is going to be at peace with not only Egypt, but Isaiah, all the rest of the Arabs. Now, come on, folks. Let's use a little common sense. Scratch your head. Is that, is that right now in force? Is Israel at peace with all the Arabs? Of course not. Okay. Verse 24, in that day Israel will be the third with Egypt and Isaiah a blessing in the midst of the earth. A blessing in the midst of the earth? Whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people? Come on, folks. This is a future prophecy. And Isaiah, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Now, even the people in the commentaries get it right Right here. It says, uh, Isaiah 19, verse 23, the Egyptians will worship with the Isaiahians. A remarkable change and two of Israel's worst enemies. They, too, will worship the one true God, the whole world represented by Egypt and Isaiah. At either end of Israel's historical landscape, unites in worship. And, yes, it does represent the entire world, those two, but specifically it's talking about Egypt and then Isaiah, those people uh, that live in the land of Isaiah. If you take a map, in the, in, in, most of the people that live in those particular areas now are Arabs. Okay? So... And this is a remarkable prophecy, but the thing that I think is very significant is that what's going on in Egypt right now is going to lead to God coming back. So I can confidently say we don't have that much time. I don't. I can't. You know, I, God hasn't come down me canard. Uh, we have to 2015. I, I'm not going to be a fool and say that, but I know definitely that we don't have a lot of time left. Okay, and this situation in Egypt is, is going to do. It's going to play. His role, according to what the prophet Isaiah stated. All right, so that that that's something that I know for sure. Now, the specifics and details, don't ask me. So ask some other soothsayer. You know, I'm not a soothsayer, but understand, ask somebody else uh, who maybe God has given specific details. He hasn't given it to me. All he's given me is the ability to understand the prophetic scriptures. You know, but um, I think this is good enough for anyone to understand what's going on in Egypt right now. So and then also here's another wonderful prophecy involving Egypt that I really didn't understand. And then Paul is right when he says that prophecy; it takes a while to understand it, and, and that's why Christ states that you must watch. You got to watch world events to truly understand the prophecies, because I, I didn't understand the role of Egypt until now. You know. But anyway, uh, Isaiah chapter 11, which is a popular uh, scripture for Jews and also for Christians as well. And I'm going to read this whole thing because it, the Messiah is really involved in uh, Egypt and and Israel. And you're going to see that here. Um, Isaiah 11, verse 1, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. And that's pretty interesting to, to say that he will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. So he's going to supernaturally do it. And that's something the Jews don't get there. I mean, that one verse proves that the Messiah has divine attributes. But anyway... Verse 4, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Not all Jews, but most of them. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. So this is showing that uh, the Messiah is not going to be playing games with folks when he comes back, Jesus. Uh, you, know, either, you know, you can play games with him now, but when he comes back, he's going to come as a lion. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's called the Lion of Judah. Okay, And <laughs> I don't know, I've, I've seen... Lions get angry, and I see what they do when they get angry. And this is going to be the same with him, because he's put up with this stuff for thousands of years, and he's not going to put up with people disobeying him. And it states right here, he's going to strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lip, he shall kill the wicked, literally. Verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Now, we know that's not happening, folks. No wolf is going to be dwelling with a lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. That's why he stated that because he's trying to explain to you and to me uh, the tremendous difference is going to be when he's on the earth and bringing peace upon the earth. So much so that's going to affect the nature of animals. And the calf and the lion and the fat and calf together, and a little child shall, and a little child shall lead them. <laughs> Incredible. The cow and the beard shall graze, and their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. So the cobra is going to be made into a little pet. (laughs) And the winged child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, which is uh, in Jerusalem. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now let's stop there for a minute. Let's let's analyze the scripture. God states that the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And he's saying because of that, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. So that verse proves that there's something wrong with the world, and it also proves that we don't have, the whole earth is not full of the knowledge of the Lord, as some false ministers claim. They state that the gospel has been preached around the world. Well, if that's the case, then why don't we have peace? Okay, that's another Bible study. But Anyway, verse 10, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time, a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Hyzeria, the territory of the Arabs again today, from Egypt, from Panthros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, Hamath, and the coastlands of the sea, all in the area of, of the Arabs today, practically. Verse 12. He will raise a signal for the nations. He will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now, let me explain this. I have to do this almost every week, okay? There are 12 tribes of Israel, folks. It's in Genesis chapter 49. The Israel that most people identify with today is the Jews. Okay, now, the Jews consist of the tribe of Judah. They are only one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And, of course, you're going to say, well, where are the other tribes? Well, the, all the other tribes were lost, but they are found to those who know the truth, like myself and a few others, and in particular, Yar Davidi. Go to his website, org to find the truth about that. And... The truth is that the rest of the tribes consist geographically today of the United States, Britain, the countries in northwestern Europe, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. That is Israel today, folks. Israel, humorously by God, I believe so, calls us Jezreel, and we whack fat. And we have the richest resources on the earth. So we are identified in Deuteronomy chapter 32 as a people that have it all and are fat. So whenever you find fat and rich people around the world, more than likely they're an Israelite. All right? So that is the truth. I haven't heard heard anybody preach that. But it's right in the Bible for anyone to see. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. And it's in the Torah. It's in the first five books of the Bible. And I tell you, I'm not making fun, but I see a lot of fat Jews. I see a lot of fat Americans. I see a lot of fat Britons. I see a lot of fat New Zealands, Australians. And right now, Australia, I forgot to mention, they had one of the worst hurricanes ever in the history of Australia. Matter of fact, they had the worst. The size of Italy, hit them, and no one's been talking about that, of course. But that's very significant. I just thought I would mention that. So, in Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two, verse fifteen, but Jezreel grew fat and kicked. Well, before I talk about the fatness here, uh, Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two, and and verse thirteen. Now, he's telling us the the financial resources that that we have, and he calls us, in this context, Jacob. Jacob uh, had, uh, without Jacob, there would not be 12 tribes of Israel, okay? So um, he had 12 kids, all right? Actually, he had more than that, but the 12 tribes came out of uh, Jacob. That's why when the Bible talks about Jacob, you can understand that that's talking about the 12 tribes. So anyway, in Deuteronomy chapter 32... Verse 13, he says, He made him, Jacob, right on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock, and oil out of the flinty rock. We have lots of oil today because we get it from the Arabs, of course, and then we have plenty of honey, we have plenty of produce. Verse 14, Curds from the herd and milk from the flock and the fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats with the very finest. And we do. We had the finest of the wheat, and you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. But Jezreel grew fat and kit. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. So that's us, folks. Um, and, and then, for you, if you doubt that this is not a prophecy, uh, over here it states here, uh, Moses states in verse 24. Actually, in verse uh, twenty-six of Deuteronomy chapter uh, thirty-one, Deuteronomy chapter thirty-one, verse twenty-six says, "Take this book of the law and put it by the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, and this is in the days of Moses, folks." You have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? And that's a prophecy that's been fulfilled, folks. Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will surely act corruptedly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you and in the days to come or in the future or in in Jewish versions of the Bible it says uh, uh, in the latter days or in the days before the coming of the Messiah, all right, uh, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. And then I'm going to read this in the beginning to prove to you ultimately that this is an end-time prophecy. And this is something that everyone in the whole world should pay attention to, Uh, Deuteronomy 32. I invite you and encourage you to read this in your spare time, the entire chapter. Um And then, starting in uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 1, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. That means the whole universe. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Okay? So this is a very serious prophecy that God wants everyone to pay attention to. All right. So, getting back to Isaiah chapter 19. Or, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 11. Now, uh, when the Bible talks about Ephraim, Uh, Ephraim is talking about also the twelve tribes because in, in Ezekiel chapter 37 God talks about the stick of Judah and he talks about the stick of Ephraim okay and the stick of Ephraim in that context and in this context is referring to the rest of the tribes of Israel the jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off Ephraim Shall not be jealous of Judah. Okay, so the, the the tribes, or yes, they are somewhat jealous of Judah. And then Judah shall not harass Ephraim. So God has stated that the Jews have harassed uh, those nations that, or those people, or those nations that have the, the, that consist of the tribes today, the rest of the tribes. Verse 14, but they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west and together they shall plunder the people of the east. So together they're going to combine and they're going to do what God wants them to do and wipe out all the people that don't want to obey God in that territory so they can take it over. And what I'm talking about is the territory of Israel today in the Middle East. And they shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, that's Jordan, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals. There will be a highway from Isaria. Again, it's not talking about Germany, as you know, me and my wife were taught incorrectly. It's talking about the area of Isaria, the area that's have, uh, that uh, people of uh, the Muslim religion inhabit today, mostly. And there will be a highway from Isaria for the... Remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came out from the land of Egypt. Okay? So this this is a prophecy, again, that's, that has something to do with Egypt and the Arabs. And the fact that God is going to, to, to destroy any Arab, or anyone for that matter, that doesn't want to obey him, and those Arabs that want to obey him, based on the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 19, will be welcome. And they will be called his people. We are really all of God's people. We all come from one blood. I think we forget that. Uh, matter of fact, I know we forget that. So so that's good news. I hope that it helps you understand. What, oh, one more thing. One more significant. Daniel chapter 11. we got to talk about this because this is serious too. This is what all this garbage is going to lead to here. Daniel chapter 11. And there's other prophecies, but a lot of them are... Is is already happened? And yes, there there are some elements that are dual, but it's going to take a, a some some real extensive uh, Bible studies to, to talk about those things. So that's the reason why I'm going to the simple ones that you guys can really see uh, that that really reveals to us that this, got, this has to be an end time prophecy, like this one, um, Daniel chapter eleven, verse forty. I mean, when you see this phrase, you know that it is time for the end time. The time we're living in today uh, Daniel 11 verse 40 At the time of the end The king of the south Now now who's the king of the south People had their theories Iran, ran all that Well the king of the south If you look historically um, Is the uh, P-T-O-L-E-M-A-I-C Empire <laughs> I looked at the dictionary To make sure I pronounced it right I forgot So I'm just going to spell it out Okay Because I don't use this word too often Alright And and also The The um, S-E-L-E-U-C-I-D Empire. Okay, so uh, that that was the king of the north, and I'm looking at my historical map here. And the S-E-L-E-U-C-I-D Empire is the area of where most Arabs live today. And I see the Euphrates River, and um, the Euphrates River goes through Iraq today. And then you have Iran in this territory. This whole territory is, is uh, basically, in most cases, uh, Muslim. And then, of course, um, the area of Egypt is the P-T-O-L-E-M-A-I-C empire. Okay, uh, So that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about two different um, battles between Arabs. All right, And when you understand the, the Bible prophecies as well, the king of uh, rome took over back then those two areas and that's what's going to happen again the person that's talked about here which many people correctly identify as the anti is going to take over uh the whole region it's going to take over the whole region and verse 40 at the time of the end the king of the south shall attack him but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships, and he shall come into countries. Some people interpret this as the both the king in the north and the king in the south attacking the anti-messiah. Some people interpret this as um, the king in the north and, and the king of the south attacking each other. It's kind of hard to figure out what it is, so I'm just giving the, both those options. But I think the main uh, understanding of this is that there's going to be a war, a major war that's going to involve Arabs. Okay? Um. And says, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships, and he shall come into the countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land. Now we know what the glorious land is, Jerusalem, okay, Uh, uh, the land of Israel today. And tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab, that's the Jordan area, and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. So here we go with Egypt being a significant Part of Bible prophecy again, he shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt. So, whoever this next, uh, whoever the anti-messiah is, the anti-messiah is going to control all the treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt. So he's going to get a hold of Egypt. He's going to get a hold of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. So all the, in Libya and, and the Cushites, which is talking about Ethiopia. They're also going to be taken into captivity. But news from the east and in the north, east and north of Jerusalem, which is uh, Russia and China, uh, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devour many to destruction. And he shall pitch his tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain so the anti-Messiah's headquarters is going to be in Jerusalem. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. And that's another Bible study in itself. And then... Verse 1, to help you understand this, is talking about the end time. At that time, at what time? The time all this stuff is going on. Shall Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, uh, shall rise. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. Okay? So we know that this is an end time prophecy, and we know that Egypt is involved in it. You must, if you believe in God at all, you better start paying attention to what's going on in the Middle East, folks. Because what's going to happen is uh, God has predicted that, well, we already know, uh, Mubarak is not going to be a ruler of Egypt soon. So that prophecy has already been fulfilled. There's going to be someone else uh, that's going to be the ruler of Egypt, and God indicates that this person is not going to be as nice as Mubarak. And I I, I understand that um, the people of Egypt are suffering right now, but they're going to really be suffering when this new leader gets in. uh, uh, Things may go well for a while, but, you know, eventually this leader is going to show his true colors. And uh, they're going to go through a whole lot worse than what they're going through right now. And then I, I wanted to read this article real quickly here that my son pulled up. Uh it says, Egypt turmoil threatens the United States economy. And this is by uh, Fox News. You can Google this. Uh, Egypt turmoil threatens the U.S. economy. It says, the forecast for U.S. job losses in the next year from IHS Global Insight, if oil prices increase, by only $11 a barrel as a result of the East crisis, 270,000 jobs will be lost just, just by an increase of only $11. Uh, rising prices for food and fuel helped drive, and this, is, uh, this article is by Chris Steyerwald. I must be careful to give proper credit here. Rising prices for food and fuel helped drive the uprisings racking the Middle East. Now those uprisings are pushing prices higher still and threatening America's economic recovery. Prices have been on the rise for months around the world as increased demand following a long recession, especially driven by economic booms in China and India, squeeze valuable resources. Massive increases in the cost of staples, like staples meaning things that we need, common things like flour and cooking fuel, help stoke popular anger in the poor countries in the Middle East and could do the same elsewhere. Note well that the Chai are heavily censoring the news on the Arab uprising, lest their inflation-strain subjects get any funny ideas. In the U.S., increased competition and rising domestic demand augmented by regulatory crackdown in the energy sector, particularly oil and coal, has driven a still relatively modest increase in food and fuel prices, enough to be a small drag on the recovery but not stifle it. In Europe, though, inflation is already sinking in its fang. So Europe is, and the media is not really covering this, but Europe is really in bad shape, folks. And it's only going to get worse. Uh, central bankers and heads of state are preparing to jack up interest rates and tighten monetary supplies in an effort to prevent runaway inflation. When President Obama asked his federal leaders to keep pushing stimulus, as he is here, they refused largely on the grounds they feared inflation. Here the Federal Reserve has been gushing cheap dollars at what they call the uh, quantitative easing, and what all that is basically is printing money out of thin air. All that's going to do eventually is uh, cause us to go into another Great Depression. Um says, gushing cheap dollars into the economy for three years and the Obama Democrats have ramped up spending and borrowing to historic highs, all in effort to stave off what they said would have been another Great Depression. But now economists fear that there will be too many dollars chasing too few goods uh, and that a serious inflationary cycle could begin. As those who endured the 1970s will attest. once began, once begun, An inflationary cycle is hard to to shake. Every bit of growth is gobbled up by inflation, and people lose ground in their personal finances. And this is all predicted in the Bible, folks. I'm going to get to it in a minute. Fred Chairman Ben Bernanke and Obama have promised that they can switch from stimulus to inflation control at precisely the right moment. But turmoil in the Middle East could trump their abilities to make the transition. If oil prices shoot up because of concerns over the access to the Suez Canal, which is a, a major oil supply area, or instability inside significant petroleum producers in the region, it could kick-start inflation here. High gas prices push other prices up, and with bushels of cheap dollars available, there is little check on costs rising faster than stagnant wages can match. When you have a cheaper dollar, um Merchants have to raise their prices to make money. That That's that's what inflation does. Inflation stalls recoveries, but so do the steps necessary to prevent inflation, like tightening monetary policy and raising interest rates. Okay, so anyway, this is a serious issue. I can read the rest of this, but you guys can uh, think. Look, what I suggest you do is to start buying emergency food, folks. <laughs> and you need to start doing it now. Because uh, when... Things get real serious. You're not going to be able to go to the grocery store, and uh, people are going to people are going to panic. And I just see it, just see this in my just thinking about it. And you're not going to be able to go to the grocery store. So you need to start doing it now. You can't wait until the president gets on the. Because I guarantee you, President Obama will have his emergency food, and he'll have his emergency shelter. Okay, you need to start preparing your own. I think that the lessons of Katrina should all remind us that we can't depend on the government. All right? So you have to depend on God, and God states us. He states, um, let me uh, turn to Hebrews here. This is uh, an example of how you prove that you believe in God as well. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse seven. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. So we must all be Noah's folks right now, and we better start preparing for uh, to save our household. And you know, people focus on money so much today, but can you eat money? Can you eat a dollar? Can you eat a, a, a penny or a nickel? No, I mean, that, that's not going to nourish you, right? So food is is the commodity that we need to be focusing on right now, you know. because uh, there's a prophecy in the Bible that says people will be throwing their money in the streets. I can understand that now. When there's worldwide famine that uh, he predicted, he predicted it would be worldwide famine. So if there's worldwide famine, then... It, Money is not going to be of value to you anymore. It's not going to be of value anymore. I'm trying to find this key scripture here about preparing yourself here. I'll find it here in a minute. Let's see. So, wise man... I think it's Proverbs 22. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. Proverbs 22, verse 3. The prudent sees danger and hides himself. So we all see what's going on in Egypt, folks. Um... God tells us uh, when, when we see that, we, we should start to hide ourselves. Says, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So I don't know about you folks, I don't, I don't want to suffer because of what I'm seeing, so I, I'm going to prepare and I'm going to store as much food as I can. For those who don't know how to do that, um, please go to this website, www.Beprepared.com. That's www.Beprepared.com. Dot be prepared dot com. They made it simple Guys made it simple for you www.beprepared.com And get all the emergency Stuff that you need folks Okay stop thinking Having faith in Obama and a man You can't have believe me God has shown me over and over again That you cannot have trust and faith in a man I can't save you Don't trust me Just All I'm doing is showing you the Bible Showing you God's words You have to trust these words but you don't trust me. I'm just a puny man. I can't do nothing. Okay. So what you have to do is, is is prove what I'm saying is true out of the Bible. That's why I quote out of the scriptures. And and I I encourage you to follow along with me so you understand that I am speaking the truth. And then you then from there you trust those words, not me. There's too many ministers out here want you to trust them. Me 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 me. Give me money. Give me money. Give me money. I'm struggling. Oh, I'm sick. Give me money. You know. That's all they're focusing on is themselves. They have pictures uh, of them. You know, look at me, me. Focus on me. It's all about them. A true minister of God gets you off of them and say, "Hey, look, get on, it. get in the Word. Focus on this. I'm just a tool of God. Don't make a difference on what I look like. Stop focusing on me. Focus on on what I'm telling you." They direct you to God's Word. They don't direct you to them like they're almighty and, and so cute in their nice suits and ties. So that's it with Egypt, folks. So uh, the, the good news is that I, I don't think we have really a lot of time left. What I mean by that, I don't think we have 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years before Christ comes back. Okay, uh, So uh, 20 years can go by pretty quick. But I don't know the way things are going. I don't think it's going to take 20 years, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. In the remaining, how many minutes do I have here? 43 minutes. We're going to talk about something that I don't think most Christians understand. And it's not a surprise because uh, Jesus and the other prophets, uh, they predicted this anyway. Um, I'm going to talk about how how did Jesus live? Because I don't think how most people don't know how he lived. And what did he say? What did he say? Because that's the biggest confusion that we have today. I've stated many times in this program that the church, really the the real word for the church, the Hebraic understanding of the word church means assembly or congregation. That word can be found in the Tanakh or the Old Testament uh, the congregation of Israel can be found in the uh, the uh, King James Version. And you look that word up, it means assembly. So there was always a church. It's just that, as it is with Judaism today, in most religions you have different branches. And back in the first century, Christ formed a branch of Judaism, okay, his own branch, okay, his own assembly. There were different, you had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had all types of various branches in between. You had the Essence. you had, and then you had Jesus' uh, group, which is the purest group of Judaism. And what people call Christianity, but I'm very careful about using that word because the Christianity today teaches about a Jesus that put his finger up in, in his father's face and said, Hey, I'm going to do things my way, forget you. You know, uh, forget the law of Moses, which which is the law of God. And and Christianity teaches that the law of God uh is toilet paper. Um the the Old Testament is toilet paper. The prophets are toilet paper. Moses is toilet paper, that's what they teach today. So I, I really don't want to call it Christianity. I I rather would call it uh Yeshuaism, that's his name. Yeshuaism or or, 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 or the distinction. The truth. That's what I really want. truism, that's what I want to call it, basically. Truism, Judaism, truism, whatever. I'll figure it out. But anyway, the point of the matter is Jesus wants us to think like him. Jesus, whether you want to realize it or not, is a Jew. Was a Jew and still is a Jew because he's still alive. Okay? So, I want you to, to hold that thought and let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. 1 Corinthians two verse six. That's just the right one here. No, verse sixteen. I'm sorry. First Corinthians chapter two verse sixteen it says, "For who has understood the mind of the Lord?" so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ, okay? Those who are true believers of the Messiah have the Messiah's mind. That mind, folks, is Jewish, okay? If you need scriptural proof of that, turn to Hebrews 7, verse 14. Hebrews 7, verse 14. I mean, that that's basic common sense. I don't think even somebody, I, I don't think even a pope would den- deny that Jesus was not a Jew, but, you know, some people would try to deny that. Hebrews 7, I mean, some people think he was black, you know. Some people think that, uh, well, if he was black, which is, I, I don't care what color, he can be meant green, all I care, he was a Jew. That's the that's important thing, he was a Jew. There are black Jews, okay? There is um, a professor that uh, told my wife, a Jewish professor that uh, Jesus was black and that and, you know that could be true so I want to look into that but whether he was black or not he was a Jew that's the important thing you need to understand he was a Jew okay so Hebrews 7 verse 14 for it is evident that our lord was descended from judah now i know in the in the king james version it says j u d a right j u d a right but that's another translation of the word Judah, but it should be J U D A H. So he was descended from Judah. Okay, so that's where he he is a Jew. So you have biblical proof that your own Bible says that he's a Jew. Okay, so let's get the facts. We a, a true believer should have the mind of Christ, and Galatians two verse twenty says that Jesus will live in you, right? Uh, we should have his mind. In other words, we should think like him and then Hebrews 7 verse 14 states he was a Jew. So what does these two verses tell you that we should think like a Jew, right? And then and then Romans chapter 2 and see I I don't think a lot of Christians have thought about this before, okay? Uh because if you did, then you would realize, wait a minute, what is my minister talking about? What is he, what what's going on, you know? You would start to realize that but you haven't been taught that. Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 28. Romans chapter 2, verse 28. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. And in this context, circumcision is talking about the ritual, the old Jewish ritual of becoming a Jew. Okay, But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So, again, here we, we have the spiritual Jew, and you understand what this is talking about. It doesn't mean being literally a Jew physically, but it means thinking like a Jew, having the mind of Christ. That's what this is talking about. And and uh, if you don't have that mind of Christ, you're not really a believer, okay? Okay. Um, now, there may be people that can do the, that may be doing the best that they can, and God is going to be fair about that. But according to the Bible, you, you're not really following Christ if you don't think like him. How can you say you're following somebody if you don't think like him? All right, and last week I, I showed you different things about Christ and what he did, but I'm going to go into more detail now. But before I do that, well, I did mention Last week, at age 12, he was sitting down with rabbis talking about the Bible. Okay? And here's another scripture that backs up that, that wonderful good habit that he had. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy Second Timothy chapter three, all right, verse sixteen. Actually, let's start in verse fourteen. 2 Timothy chapter three, verse fourteen. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood, from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writing. So this is Paul writing to Timothy, the evangelist. And he was telling him that Timothy, from childhood, from childhood, Timothy knew the scriptures, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to understand, the scriptures back then was just the Old Testament or the Tanakh. You know, Jesus didn't think the the, the Tanakh was toilet paper and neither did Timothy or the rest of his followers, and neither should you. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. And it's talking about the Old Testament, of course the New Testament too, but they were, back then, we were referring to the Old Testament. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now this is how Christ thought. How do I know that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tells me this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1. And I'm reading this in the uh, English Standard Version of the Bible for clarity's sake. It says, Be imitators of me. This is Paul writing to the, the Corinthian church that had issues. Okay, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So, Paul had the mind of Christ, and his writings are the mind of Christ. That's all I know. So, John chapter 7, starting in verse 14. John 7, verse 14. now i'm going to ask you are are you doing this you know are, i was challenging you last week and i'm going to ask you are, did you are you doing this are you going to the feast of uh, tabernacles here do you know what it is uh, john 7 verse 14 about the middle of the feast jesus went up into the temple and began teaching the jews therefore um uh, marvel saying how is this this man has learning when he has never studied and that's what people <laughs> People say that to me today. I I don't have a doctorate degree in theology. I have an MBA in marketing, so I'm not not exactly stupid, you know, but uh, um, people, you know, uh, my family, out of respect for him, I'm not going to mention his name, but he states, well, you haven't gone to school, you haven't done this, you haven't done that, you know. And I'm like, "I, I, I don't need to go to school. My school, spiritually, is the University of Almighty God in heaven. That's how I'm being taught. And sure, I, I read certain things from other people that have written books that I have to pay for uh to uh learn things from and, and he miraculously has guided me to things on the internet to the internet to uh give me truthful knowledge. So that's how God teaches each and every one that is not a part of the 501c3 CT the 501c3 profit machine ministry uh that's in the United States and, you know, worldwide too. Uh that God doesn't approve of. But anyway, uh John chapter seventeen, verse fourteen, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Verse sixteen, so Jesus answered, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me, and I can say the same thing. Okay. If anyone's will if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, and I'm not doing it. I'm not seeking my own glory, but these ministers do. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. (laughs) So back then, most of the Jews didn't even keep the law back then, the law of Moses. That's one of the reasons why he came, to show them how to keep it. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Now, okay. Uh, even Christ was uh, accused of having a demon, which was ridiculous in itself, but, you know. And, you know, people that you wouldn't think of, uh, well, one particular person uh, stated that I had a demon. <laughs> Not that I'm trying to compare myself with Christ, but Christ said that if any believer follows him, we're going to get persecuted similar to the way he did. Okay? Um, verse 21. says, Jesus answered him, I did one work and you all marvel. At it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. You know, they had a problem doing that, judging with right judgment. But I wanted to... Um, let's see this. Is, okay, here we go. This is the part that I wanted to get here. John 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea, which is the West Bank today, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, his own people were seeking to kill him, folks. <laughs> sad, isn't it? You know, I found in life, and this is the way it was in his life and mine, too, the people that are closest to you can hurt you the worst. You know, and that's sad, but that's the way. You know, what happened with the people that he slept with and, and, and ate with? What happened at the time when he was arrested? They all left like little scared sheep. They all betrayed him. That's sad, isn't it? But that's the way it is. Verse 2, now the Jews' Feast of Booths, that's another name for the Feast of Tabernacles, was at hand. So his brother said to him, and I, I just wanted to get to that part to help you understand, that he attended the Feast of Tabernacles. And he has gone up to the Feast Feast of Tabernacles. Are you doing that? Are you going up to the Feast of Tabernacles? Are you celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles the best you can? Do you even know what it is? If you don't, then you need to understand how uh, Jesus thought. Because his thinking, whenever you think, you do what you think. He was thinking about the Feast of Tabernacles, and he went to the Feast of Tabernacles. So you need to find out about it if you don't. And if you want to know about it, just email me. I'll give you some information about the Feast of Tabernacles. John 15, verse 10. John 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And a lot of people, they see, and say, well, you know, there's two separate commandments. It's Jesus' commandments and God's commandments. No. <laughs> they are one. They are in total agreement. So whatever Jesus' commandments there are, those are the commandments of God, of, of the Father. So there's no two separate commandments. Uh, uh, he, does, he only does what the Father tells him to do. Okay? So uh, Matthew 5, verse 17 and 19. Matthew 5, verse 17 to 19 states, and people, I guess they have a problem understanding English or something because he states here, do not think. Okay, so we're not supposed to think the following, okay? That I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. Now, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but Moses was a prophet, okay? So he said, he said for us not to think that he came to destroy anything that Moses said, okay? Uh, I know the easy to read version says the law of Moses, which is an excellent translation. Okay, but the law of prophets does involve the law of Moses. It says I have not come to abolish them, so he stated this two times. Okay, two times, but to fulfill them, and the easy, easy to read version says to explain them to 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 shed. Let, let's turn to what it says here real quick. Uh. Many times I realize people's inability to understand the Bible is there because they don't know what's in the Bible. That's the problem. They don't know what's in the Bible. Uh, a, there was a study done saying that this country's Ill- biblical illiteracy is just ridiculously low. I mean, very high, rather, the illiteracy, uh, not understanding where certain scriptures are. If you don't know where the scriptures are at, how do you know the will of God? How do you know the mind of Christ? You don't. How, how can you have the mind of Christ? It's impossible. Uh, Matthew uh, 5, verse 17. Don't think that I have come to destroy the law of Moses or the teaching of the prophets. This is this is in the... Uh, easy to read. This is an excellent translation. Don't think that I have come to destroy the law of Moses or the teaching of the prophets. I have come not to destroy their teachings, but to give full meaning to them. Okay? That's why he came. Because... I just read your scripture where he said none of you keep the law. They didn't understand how to keep it, the majority of them. Now, of course, there was a few. But when God talks like that, what he means, because cause I, I've read the Bible and I understand what he's saying, uh, he, he's talking about the majority. He's talking about the majority. Okay? Um, and he states right here back in, in the easy to uh, in the uh, English Standard Version of the Bible. And in verse 18 he says of Matthew 5, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not... Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. All is not accomplished, folks. And, and is heaven and earth pass away? Of course not. So the law is still in effect. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, and people think the Sabbath command or Shabbat, the Sabbath, is the least of the commandments, but he's saying, let's, say, let's assume it is because it's not one of the least, it's one of the heavier commandments. It says, therefore, who relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so he's telling you, hey, you better keep my commandments. Those that I've revealed to you and you understand how to keep them, you must keep them. We're all responsible for what we know. And God's going to judge us based on what we know. And if God is allowing you to listen to me today, he must want you to keep uh, more commandments than what you're keeping right now. Okay, so so let's understand that. John five verse forty six to forty seven. Now he's remember the setting of this, the context of this. He's talking to his own Jewish people. And he's telling them in verse 46, for if you believe Moses, what's Moses? Moses to the Jews is the first five books of, uh, of the Bible called the Tanakh. Uh, the Torah, rather, I'm sorry. The Torah, the whole entire Old Testament, Jewishly, is called the Tanakh. Okay? For if you believe Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. Uh-oh. He wrote of Yeshua And that's another Bible study in itself But if you do not believe his writings As many Christians don't today I would say the vast majority Don't believe all of Moses' writings Particularly the ones where it states uh, The sacrifices and, and, and not keeping the Sabbath uh, I mean what it says to keep the Sabbath And we say well that's been nailed to the cross But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So, okay, this is (laughs) pretty interesting here. So he's saying that if any of us, whether it's a Jew or Gentile, does not believe all of Moses' writings, how can you believe his words? Okay? You're not going to be able to not only believe his words, but understand what he's talking about because you don't believe in Moses and what he said prime example of it is is Matthew 5, verse 17, right? What does he say? He said, do not think I came to destroy the law and the prophets. If you're still struggling with that, it's because you don't believe what Moses wrote. That's an example. There's many other examples. But in order to understand what Jesus said, you must believe what Moses wrote. That's what he's telling you. All right. Luke 16, I love this example. Luke 16, verse 19. Because this is a really good example, let's put it this way. He really, really clarified it here for folks. Luke chapter 16. Starting in verse 19. Rich man and Lazarus. One of my favorite parables or stories. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted uh, sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. So he was that poor. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. That's how poor he was. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side or bosom. And that is uh, a symbolism... For paradise, a spiritual dimension that maybe I'll give a Bible study on in the future. Anyway, the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, this is another spiritual dimension, but it's one that uh, neither me or you should ever desire to be in. Um, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end." of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame so obviously for those who are wicked they're going to be punished because God states that uh, whatever you do that's wicked uh, you will be punished for it so for those who have gotten away with all kinds of stuff in this life I guarantee you they will be punished for it they will not uh, let's put it this way God is going to make sure that they says uh, vengeance is his So say, for instance, you have a serial killer that's killed 100 people and raped and and did all kinds of abominations to them. God is going to make sure that that pain and agony they will feel before they die. Okay? And this is really what this description is. Uh, If each and every person, depending on their sins, God is going to avenge what they did to you on them. That's why he says vengeance is his. Anyway, verse 25, but Abraham said, "Child, remember that you in your lifetime receive your good things." And see, in this case, his great sin was his selfishness and his stinginess. He didn't want to give him his wealth to I mean, if somebody was that poor to the point of where dogs were licking on I would have to help them. I would be compelled to help them. I couldn't see I couldn't allow anybody just to be like that. I would you know, feed them and, and try to call some some agency to be able to help them. You know, and, and take them take them in a shelter or something. You know, if <laughs> I could take them in, I would. I know I couldn't right now. I'm struggling. You know, but uh, uh, if you're capable of doing it, you should. Or if you're not, then you call the, the proper agencies that can and take responsibility. But he didn't want to do him In this case, he didn't have to do all that. He was rich enough to to to, um, to help. Last. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. This is going to happen to a lot of people. The poor, in a lot of cases, uh, and more cases than not, are going to be lifted up. And and people that were rich, because, you know, what did Christ say about rich people? He didn't say this about poor people. He said about rich people. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle (laughs) than than for them to enter the kingdom of God. So it's going to be not impossible, but very difficult for rich people. To enter the kingdom But it's a lot easier obviously For poor people to enter the kingdom of God Because they don't have nothing And when you don't have nothing uh, you, Your tendency is not to, to have idols Or an idol is anything you put ahead of God And when you don't have nothing It makes it easier not to have idols Right? You know so uh anyway uh, Obviously um, the rich man's um, idol was his money here Verse 26 It says uh, But now he's confident and you are in anguish Verse 26, and beside all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may may not be able and none may cross from here to us. So obviously when when, when you die, you still exist in spirit form, and there is some, some sort of a dimension of, of paradise and of Hades. That's what it's called here. It's a place of torment. And uh, for those who were righteous will go into this place of paradise waiting for their spiritual bodies. Those who are wicked are going to go to this place of torment waiting to be physically resurrected and judged by God guilty in most cases. Perhaps in all cases. I have to do a Bible study on that. It's kind of hard to understand what happens to you after death, but you have to put all the scriptures together. But this is a summary of it right here. You, you sure did us a favor and gave us a I know many people say, well, this is just a story. That's a bunch of garbage. This is what's going to happen to you when you die. Okay, Christ is not playing games here. I mean, he's he's telling you what's going to happen to you if you're righteous and if you're wicked. Very simple explanation here, right? And the Jews do teach this correctly. And beside all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from here there to us. Verse 27, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them that they also come into this place of torment. So it's a place of torment. Verse 29, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Here we go again. They have Moses and the prophets. And I I want you to understand something. The New Testament wasn't written. I like to call it the renewed covenant, not the New Testament, but the renewed covenant. Okay? Uh, It wasn't written. And he's telling them, They have Moses and the prophets. That's the entire Tanakh. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And and, and look at this one statement here. It's very significant. Verse 31, Yeshua, Jesus stated, Yeshua is his Hebrew name. He said to him, If they do not hear, and hebraically that means understand, if they do not hear or understand Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That's how important, folks, the Old Testament was to Jesus. The question is, is the Old Testament important to you? And do you think like him? Because if you feel that the Old Testament uh, is is not important, then you don't think like Christ. And if you don't think like Christ, you are not really a believer of Christ. You're a believer in some other Christ. Okay. And I just have to put it to you bluntly. Ephesians chapter two, verses nineteen to twenty. And see, yeah, I want you to understand that's in the context of hellfire. That's in the context of punishment. So there's no way you can say that's that's you know, not applying to something today even. All right, Ephesians chapter two. Starting in verse nineteen to twenty. And then at the end of my program is is a prophecy of Malachi, and it talks about those, he tells us to remember the law of Moses, and then those who don't, what happened to them? They're going to be ashes and the soles of the feet. So you can't, and it's kind of like a, a further description of that prophecy, uh, what I just read to you. But anyway, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Oh, starting in verse um, Nineteen. I'm sorry. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. It's talking about Gentiles that 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 grab onto the uh, the house of Israel or the congregation of Israel, which uh, Yeshua's sect is a part of. Okay. Um, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, which is talking about the assembly of God, including the Jews, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So, with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, okay? So, the assembly of God, which consists of the Jews, uh, the Jews, God still considers them his people. they just blinded right now, but they will, most of them, uh, will understand that Jesus is the Messiah soon. Around approximately 200,000 to 600,000 right now believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Jews. But that number is going to definitely increase substantially very soon as we near the, the end of this age and a man trying to rule himself. Um, let's turn to John 4, verse 22. i got 12 minutes left. John 4, verse 22. John 4, verse 22. one of my favorite scriptures here. It says, uh, you worship what you do not know. We worship. Now, uh, he's saying we because he's talking about him being a Jew, as you're going to see here in a minute. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, does this say salvation is of Islam, or salvation is of the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, what we call Christianity today, which isn't really Christianity. It's just a false version of it. I'm talking about the Christianity that most people believe uh, the fact that the, the law of Moses is not the law of God and is nailed to the cross. That's, that's not that's not real Christianity. Um, let's see, verse 22. You worship what you do not, and, and, and this is a prophecy because many people are worshiping what they don't know <laughs> today. It says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. And then he states here, but the hour is coming and, and is now here when a true worshiper will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. So I worship him with what is the truth? Psalm 119, verse, uh, verse 142 says, the law uh, the law is truth, or the Torah is truth, okay? Uh, which consists of uh, the first five books of Moses, which contains the commandments in the entire Bible, really, okay? So, uh, and... and in spirit, meaning, you know, I can't, I don't have the money to go to Jerusalem and, and worship with the Jews, okay? So I have to keep the holy days the best I can. That's what he's talking about. He prophesied that that would occur. And that's and that's what's going on, okay? Even today as I speak. And he states here that uh, uh, in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship. Him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And that's what we do, true believers. Uh, Romans 3, verses 1 to 3. It says, Then what advantage has a Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? In other words, the ritual of becoming a Jew. Much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? And many people say, well, the Jews, uh, they don't believe in Jesus. Well, he's saying that doesn't make a difference. By no means, let, let God be true, though everyone were a liar as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Okay? So God is telling you that the Jews, and this is the only people that I know, they say they have an advantage, uh, Jews and, of course, believers of God have an advantage, so they get blessed, you know? So So you follow the Jews, you're going to have an advantage and I already quoted the, the scripture 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 where Paul said he followed Christ's example so in Acts chapter 17 verse 2 I just want you to understand that he said, stated that he followed Christ's example and I want you to understand that Paul unlike what a lot of false ministers preach today kept the Sabbath and he taught other people to keep it as well uh, Acts 17 verse 2, and Paul went in as was his custom. Now, I talked last week about Christ. His custom was, was the same as Paul's. Paul just followed Christ's example. And Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Okay? So Paul did this. That was his regular custom. Every Shabbat, he went in and preached. And people today, false ministers, preach that... Uh, the Sabbath was done away with, and, and Paul taught that you don't have to keep the Sabbath. Where is that in the Bible? Show that to me. It's, it's nowhere in the Bible. And if if you think it's in the Bible, uh, you don't understand first century um, church history. And you don't understand the setting and the environment that Paul and Yeshua was in. Because if you did, you would understand that the Sabbath was never done away with. Okay? So, and that's the truth. Matthew chapter 10. Oh, there's a lot of scriptures here. I don't know if I'm going to get to all of them today. In seven minutes, no way. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 38. I have to continue this next week. Matthew chapter 10, verse 38. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Oh, nope. Matthew um, 10, verse 38, not Mark. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse uh, 38, says, And whosoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's a pretty plain statement, folks. Uh, What he's really saying is that he expects us to suffer. He expects us to suffer like he did. And I know that's a tough statement for people, but uh, this is what he said, folks. This is what he said. And whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. So he doesn't want you focusing so much on saving your life. That That's the only, uh, you should try to save your life, but what I'm saying is that if that's your only, your whole life's focus is just to save your physical life, he's saying you're going to lose it. He said whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So he wants you to have um, a, a sacrificial type of attitude. Although, of course, you know, there was there's quite a few examples in the Bible where, Christ provoked people Not because he sinned Because they didn't like What he said And they wanted, they wanted to stone him Well he didn't sit there And say stone me He he ran Okay so you have to use Common sense too If you know somebody Trying to kill you You don't sit up there Okay I'll sacrifice myself For God No you, you, you run You get away You know But if there's a situation Where you can't do it Then it's time for you to go You know That's what, that's what he's saying You know if Somebody got a, they got you tied up And got a gun in your head well, You can't defend yourself Right so It's, it's in God's hand there You know Whether or not He's going to allow Your brains to get blown out Or not But if he does Well, that is pretty quick. I mean, usually people that get shot in the head, they ain't living in the next seven seconds, you know. So that's a painless death, you know. So we must be willing to sacrifice our lives for God, but, of course, we should always pray that God has mercy on us and we don't have that type of death to deal with in the first place. Um, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, and this is something that most people don't understand. People think that uh, Christ came to bring peace on the earth. Well, ultimately, yes, in the end, but not his first time. Uh, Matthew 10, verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. Now, this is a statement from him. I know it may be a shocking statement. That may be a shocking statement uh, by him, but it's in the Bible. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. (laughs) That's what he says. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And this is what Jesus said, folks. um, You know, I, I didn't make these words up. It's in your own Bible. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 37. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you love God more than your your kids? Uh, do you love God more than your parents? Do you love Jesus more than than, than uh, your parents or your, your kids? I know I do, but do you? That's a question each and every one of you have to answer, truthfully and honestly, and if you're not, then you're not thinking like him. You're not thinking like him. Uh, Matthew ten verse twenty two, and he states that those who follow him. This is why I try to explain to my family. Well, how come people don't don't, don't give to you? The, this is the reason why. Matthew ten verse twenty two. I'm not expecting anything from you folks. All right. You know because. It will be a miracle if you ever did give to me because I'm preaching the truth. And when people preach the truth, people don't like that. God told the prophet Ezekiel to, to preach the truth, knowing that they wouldn't listen to him. So Matthew 10, verse 22. You people will only probably listen to what I'm saying when things get so bad or you're starving half to death. That's when you start listening. I know that. That's the reason why I continue to do this. This will be on the internet if they don't shut it down. And you'll be able to listen to these messages. Matthew ten, verse twenty two, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Okay? So anybody's thinking, well, if you a true servant of God, then everybody's gonna like you. That's not what he said. He said right here, Matthew ten, verse twenty two, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now he's talking about the majority, okay? But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's what he states. So anybody that keeps on thinking, well, if you're righteous, everybody's going to like you. That's not true. That's not true according to what he stated here. Matthew, or Mark, chapter 10. Mark, chapter 10. Verse 28. Besides, uh, you know, the purpose of a ministry is not to get money anyway. So, you know, I'm not expecting anything from anyone. I'm I'm doing, this is my sacrifice. This is the way I'm giving to people. And we all have to find ways to give to people. Mark chapter 10, verse 28. It says, Peter began to say to them, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one, who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands. And you may have to do this, folks, to really follow the true God. For my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, you're going to have problems and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And that's an example of the rich man and Lazarus. Rich man was really on top, right? But what happened? He became last, right? <laughs> and then the, the poor man became more important. Okay? So anyway, I'm going to pick up on this and conclude with this next week. Uh, may God bless and keep you. And God willing, I'll be back here next week. Malachi Chapter 4 For Behold the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, AND THE HEART OF THE CHILDREN TO THEIR FATHERS, LEST I COME AND SMITE THE EARTH WITH A CURSE.